Last week, uh, we were in Ephesians, and it's been really, um, uh, I, I can't think of the right word. I, I want to say strange or odd, but I've noticed it's not strange or odd, it's God. But, but the past three weeks now, the last song we sing is pretty much the outline of the sermon, okay? And so I, every week I want to go, well, amen, that was it, we can go home now, but, but then uh, y'all wouldn't pay me. So I'm here, and I want to do that. And uh, last week we were in the first 10 verses of chapter 2 where we learned that we were born dead and God had to bring us to life so that we might have a relationship with Him. Today He goes on to remind us of where we came from and exactly what it means for what Jesus did for us and, and, and us becoming radically saved. Remember last week I said you're either radically lost or you're radically saved. And so... This morning, I want you to remember this. I guess it's up there. Yes, when the radically lost become the radically saved, everything old is gone and everything, everything, everything is new. All right? It's new. And so, would you stand with me? We're going to read these uh, verses and we'll jump into it. And uh, we're starting a little bit late today. We had a lot of announcements and things going on. And uh, so I will uh, try to get where I want to go and try not to um, chase too many fat rabbits. Verse 11, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now there's an encouraging verse. Amen. <laughs> but now. But now. There's a glorious but of the Bible. But now in Christ Jesus. You who were once far off. Have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Who has made us both one. And has broken down in his flesh. The dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to you who were near. For through him we, have, we both have access in one spirit to the Father." So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your word. And Lord, uh, your word is not complicated, but our minds are dull. Lord, we, we, uh, we are slow to understand. And so, Lord, we pray right now that you do what only you can do, and that is by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, quicken our minds, bring them to life, encourage us. Lord, in this place today, just statistically, I, I don't know every individual, but I'm sure there are people here that, that those first couple of verses describe them. They have no hope. They are not saved. They don't know you at all. They have no relationship with you whatsoever. And Lord, coming to this church will not save them. Praying is not going to save them. Giving money is not going to save them. Going to church every week is not going to save them. They need to meet you and have a relationship with you. And so, God, I pray that today that will happen. Today it will start. 
Lord, there are people here who do have a relationship with you, and we have grown used to it. We, have, we are taking you for granted. We, we just forget what you did in our life. And I pray today you would remind us that we might be repentant and obedient to your great, great uh, will for our lives. And Lord, I pray now that you would just help us because only you can help us. Lord, we ask you to rebuke the devourer for us, rebuke our enemy. And, uh, and Lord, we thank you for doing that. We, we take authority over Satan right now and his demons. And in Jesus' name, we bind them and say, you have no place here. Lord, may your spirit open our minds of understanding that we can hold wonderful things out of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I'm calling this the new race. The new race. We hear a lot of talk today about race, you know, whether, uh, you know, we used to say red and yellow, black and white, and that's offensive to some people today, but, but we know what we meant by that. We are different ethnicities. We are different people. That's a Greek word, ethnos. It means peoples. It just means different kinds of people. But we all have, this, we have one common ancestor. Even science now tells us that. Science, which changes every week, has finally stumbled into the truth with DNA that that we all, we can tell through DNA testing now, we all had one common ancestor. And it wasn't a monkey, by the way. First, I was a tadpole beginning to begin. Then I was a frog with my tail tucked in. Then I was a monkey in a banyan tree. And now I'm a professor with a PhD. (laughs) No, that isn't how it happened. God created us. And he created us by creating Adam, and out of Adam he created Eve, and the two being one, and they started reproducing, and here you are. So, well, how do we get all the races? I don't know, I wasn't there. But we all got one daddy, Adam. All right? We all cousins. You may not like that, but we are. And uh, you said, well, I got some problems with that. Well, we'll talk about that another time, uh, you know, medically, scientifically. But trust me, we all have one common ancestor. And so, divisions have developed. And that's what Paul starts off by saying. You who are the uncircumcised, so called by the circumcised. You see, God called out a certain group of people. He created a people out of Abraham. You know, the first Jew wasn't a Jew, right? Abraham wasn't a Jew. He was just a dude. And out of that dude, God made the Jews. All right? just You got to understand this stuff, all right? And so out of Abraham, he created this race and he said, I'm going to love you guys and I'm going to set you apart and I'm going to make you special. And he gave a covenant to Abraham, a covenant of faith. And by the way, if you're saved today, it's by that same covenant. Jesus fulfilled that covenant. He's the one that gave it power that by faith, if we believe in God, he would take care of our sin that we might know him, become part of his family. All right, it's the same covenant, it's, but it's the new covenant in the blood of Christ, which he's going to explain here in just a second. All right, y'all with me? Y'all still with me? Y'all hadn't left me yet. Okay, good. But the point of creating these people was so that God could communicate to the world his purpose and who he is and how holy he is. And in communicating how holy he is, we would realize how much we needed him because none of us could be perfect. None of us could be sinless. None of us could earn our way to heaven. We are all sinners. All of us have broken all ten commandments. You say, wait a minute, I've only broken nine of them. Well, it says in the New Testament, if you've broken one, you broke all of them. You see, if you break the law, you're a lawbreaker, period. It, 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 it doesn't work this way in our law system. In other words, if 
if John Cromer pulls me for speeding, I'm guilty of speeding, not of murder. But in God's economy, if you look with lust upon a woman, you broke all ten commandments. Because they stand and fall as one. You'll notice when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, what must I do to be saved? Notice what he said, what must I do? The answer is nothing. You can't do anything. By the way, you don't do anything to go to hell. You just were born going there. And there's nothing you can do to get to heaven. So Jesus listed some commandments, but if you'll notice, he listed all the ones that have to do with relationship to people and none that had anything to do with relationship to God. And the rich young ruler caught on and said, well, I did all those. Jesus said, well, you only got one thing left to do. Sell everything you got, come follow me. In other words, abandon your life to me. And he went away sorrowful because he had a lot of riches. The one thing he did was not want to surrender. And all of us have something that we don't do. We're all proud about what we don't do, but we don't talk about the bad thing we do do. Right? We all got a problem somewhere. And when we break, and by the way, we never break the commandments. The commandments break us. If I fell out of an airplane and I fell against a rock on, on one of the mountains around us, I would not break the mountain. The mountain would break me. And that's what happens when you fall against the mountain of God. Mount Sinai and the Ten Commandments. You don't break them. They break you. And we're broken people needing healing, needing a Savior, needing someone to save us. And Paul here introduces this by saying, you who were the uncircumcised. And he, and he begins to say, uh, uh, you Gentiles in the flesh. And, and he says this because... It was a sign of the covenant of Abraham that, that men be circumcised. And y'all get that, eighth day. We won't go into that because you, you understand. And, and, and uh, we got, you know, all ages in here. So I'll let you talk to others about that. But that's done in the flesh by hands. It doesn't do anything spiritually for us. Remember that at that time, and he lists five ways that they were alienated from God. First of all, uh, we see there that they were the uncircumcised. They're socially alienated. The Jewish people, you think, you think Muslims don't want to mingle with you? Neither did the Jews back in their day. They could not touch a Gentile. They would be considered unclean. They didn't want to mess with Gentiles. They, they jumped on Jesus because he dared talk to half-Jews called Samaritans and non-Jews. In fact, remember when the Syrophoenician woman came to Jesus, he kind of ignored her. She said, hey, my, my child's sick. And he goes, what I have to do with you, I didn't come to feed, you know, t- to give God's good food to dogs. And we always go, <gasps> Jesus said that. It was a pet dog is the sense of the word. And she said, yeah, but doesn't even the pet dog get crumbs that fall from the table? And Jesus said, this woman's got more faith than all of you. Because what she was saying was a crumb off of God's table was enough to meet all of her needs. And he answered her prayer because she had faith, the covenant of Abraham. She wasn't a Jew. And they, why is he talking to that woman? Why is he doing that? Well, he was doing that because that's why God made the Jewish people, to be evangelists to the Gentiles. But instead of evangelizing the Gentiles, they despised them. Sound like some churches you've been in? I mean, the churches I grew up in, I was in South Carolina. All right? And when I was a little kid, they, not by rule, but just by whatever, they wouldn't allow African-American people into that church. 
Now they would. I don't think anybody. I don't think anybody was ugly or mean. But we sure didn't do anything to go into that community and tell them about Jesus. Oh, but we'd pray, we'd cry crocodile tears and pray for lost little African children. But don't let any African American come in this door. You see the hypocrisy of how we've done church in the past. You see what I'm saying? I'm just using that as an illustration. I thank God that we are getting over that. We have gotten over that. We don't get over it by talking about race. We get over it by saying, you know what? You're a person. I'm a person. We're both lost and need a Savior. Amen? Because we all got one daddy, Abraham. I mean, Adam. Abraham was one of our cousins. Adam. I'll get it straight in a minute. So Paul says you are alienated socially because the Jewish people push you out, but you're also alienated, separated from Christ. The, the radically lost are in a hopeless situation. They, they're separated from Christ. There's a spiritual alienation. They are Christless. They are not the chosen people. Paul is saying you weren't the chosen ones. You weren't the ones that God said, I'm going to love you and I'm going to make a covenant with you, which God did. And so they were separated from the Messiah of the Old Covenant. Now some Jewish people have made themselves alienated from the Messiah of the Old Covenant, which is the New Covenant in Christ, or the Old Testament, the New Testament. Y'all with me? Just trying to help you hang all this together a little bit. You with me? All right, good. And so they were alienated, separated from Christ. They didn't have the hope of a Messiah because they weren't Jewish. And in the early days of the church, the Jews thought everybody had to be a Jew to be a Christian. And it took a little time for them to figure that out. And good old Paul helped us out with that. And so he's writing to these people in Ephesus to explain to them that you were separated from the Messiah of the Jewish people because you weren't a Jew. You couldn't do that. You had been socially kicked out. Now you are uh, separated from Christ. You're spiritually kicked out. You're alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. In other words, God didn't make a covenant with you. God never made a covenant with the Gentiles. Okay? You following me? They had no covenant with God. God didn't make them any promises. They were supposed to list, the Jews were supposed to go to them and say, look, this is our God and this is what he's given us. And they were supposed to point people to God until Jesus could come and explain him fully. That's why Jesus is the word of God. He explains God to us, right? Y'all know what a word is? It expresses an unseen thought. I'm going to think about something right now. Okay, I just thought about, what did I think about? Y'all don't know? What's wrong with you? I'll tell you what I thought about. I thought about an African elephant raising his trunk and trumpeting. But you didn't know that because you couldn't read my mind. But I use words to explain it. Jesus is the word that reveals the unseen God to us. And he is the final word, the living word of God. Amen. And all scripture, the written word, points to the living word. So Old Testament, New Testament, all pointing to Christ. And Paul's trying to get them to understand this, that, that, that what God is doing is not making a race of people like the Jews, that you've got to be Jewish to be saved, but rather that of all people, he's making one people where? Where is that one new person going to meet? What's the meeting place of the person? We're coming to it in a minute, but I'm going to go ahead and jump ahead. I'll drink water while you think about it. Where is the new person going to meet other new people? That's right, in church. Brought together in Christ. Amen, whoever said that. But in the church. 
And so they were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel because God didn't make a covenant with them. But he brings them in in the covenant of Abraham later on. And they, they were strangers to the covenant of promises. They were just so far away from it, they couldn't even see it. These are all the verses and first two verses that, that we were read. So therefore, they had no hope because they had no promise. See, a hope only comes when you got a promise. If Brother Todd came up to me and says, I'm going to give you a million dollars. I would have hope if I knew he had a million dollars in the bank. But knowing he doesn't, that don't mean anything to me if he promised. They didn't have any promises made to them. They are bankrupt. They got nothing. I mean nothing. And so they have no hope. No promise has been given to them. And they are without God. Not intellectually, but in truth. You see, without God is a word, ah, theos. Ah being negative, theos being the title of God. Ah, theos. Atheist. Atheist is someone without God. Not just intellectually, oh, I don't believe there's a God. There's no real atheist in the world. Because it's impossible to be an atheist. Y'all know that, right? Because being an atheist, you've got to know everything in the universe. Because you're saying there's no God. Y'all know this, right? Didn't I tell you all this? For me to say there's no gold in China, I've got to know what's in every jewelry box, everybody's mouth, and what, everything that's under the ground. To say there is gold in China, all I've got to do is find one nugget in the ground, one gold tooth in somebody's head, or one ring in the jewelry box. Right? So let me ask you, Mr. Atheist, how many hairs are on a fully grown yak in the Himalayas? You don't know that? Okay, that one's too hard. How about this? How many grains of sand are on the beaches of the Hawaiian island chain? You don't know that either? So you don't know everything, so you cannot say there is no God because you don't know. What you mean is you're agnostic. You're too dumb to realize you don't know anything. Agnostic means, I'm not sure, uh, duh, we knew that. But for me to say there is a God, all I need is one proof, and God has given us gazillions of them. And Romans 1 and 2 says the Jew and the Gentile are without excuse because God has shown his, in his creation who he is so that all men are without excuse. I've been thinking about this a lot lately. And this morning we were reading Proverbs 2 in the prayer time and it talked about uh, 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 searching for wisdom as you search for silver. And it hit me. God hid silver and gold underground and we had to look for that treasure. And God says, I want you to look for me. I want you to seek me. I want you to come after me. And even in nature, he's showing that the precious things we seek for, we seek for him. But he says, but I'll be found. I don't hide myself that you can't find me. You'll be able to find me. And so the Gentile, the, the, the person that Paul's writing to here, is so hopelessly, radically lost. But look, 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 look at verse 13. The glorious but that is found there. But now... This is what you used to be. This is what you were. See, I grew up in church. I told y'all, I started coming to church nine months before I was born. Some, how many of y'all been going to church less than five years? Look around, everybody. How many of you have been coming to church less than five years? 
We just heard that one out, only one out of four Americans knows the Lord. There is nobody in this auditorium that has been only coming to church less than five years. That's a, that is a sin on our record. There ought to be half of y'all in here only been coming to church a year. Because we just brought you in. Man, I didn't expect that. I may not be able to finish sermon now. I mean, if only one out of four Americans know Christ, next year, two out of four Americans ought to be without Christ. And the year after that, all Americans ought to know Christ. In my way of thinking. Because all of us ought to... I mean, is it too much to say that it would only take one of us one year to lead somebody to knowledge of Christ? But the fact is it takes 40, more than 45 Southern Baptists over a year, to lead, a year to lead somebody to Jesus. That's why the church is anemic and dying is because we are not, we don't remember what God saved us out of. I'm telling you, they have cured diabetes. It's just not available to all of us yet. I tell everybody I know, they already know how to do this. It's coming. Maybe before I die, they'll have it fixed so I can get it because they can cure diabetes now. Listen, people are going to hell, and you know how they don't have to go. Charles Spurgeon said this, if, this, if the lost be damned, at least make them leap over our bodies on the way to hell. Which, there's an illustration coming about that too. I mean, we ought to stand between the lost and hell and say, don't go this way. There is a way, but now, in Christ Jesus, in the Messiah, you who were far off have been brought near. You've been made one new people in Christ. Here's the cost of becoming radically saved. The Gentiles who were far off, in Christ their sins are forgiven. He says there, but now, you who, uh, and now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. How? By the blood of the Messiah. By the blood of Christ. That word Christ is the Greek word for Messiah. Paul is saying that it's through the Messiah dying on the cross that those who are outside of the commonwealth of Israel, outside of the promises of God, outside of the covering of Scripture, can now be brought to nearness to God through the blood of Jesus. And there's no other way. It's, it's not church membership. Church membership is just an outgrowth of being saved. Because once you're saved, you're part of the family, so you are a member. It's always struck me kind of funny. We vote people in. You're already in. We're just kind of like acknowledging it. Yep, yep, yep. But it, I, I get it why. There is a good reason, and we will keep doing that. I'm just saying that when you get saved, you become part of the family of God. And, as a, and in fact, he's going to talk about that at the end of this passage. That, that we are now close to God our, our sin has been removed because look at verse 14 Jesus ourself is our peace who has made both one and has made us sorry and has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility who is us both Jew and Gentile that's the context in which Paul's explaining this because in the Jewish world they saw the world as two different people Jews and everybody else. You follow me? Y'all ever heard of Jews for Jesus? Okay, when I was a kid, I had a t-shirt that said Goyim for Jesus. Goyim is a Hebrew word for Gentile. 
And I'd wear it to the gym, and all the Jewish guys in Charleston that went to that gym would, I like your shirt. <laughs> I go, yeah, I know. Because they didn't like those Jews for Jesus shirts. They didn't mind the Gentile being for Jesus. They'd gotten so far away. But, but the Jews saw it as Jew or Gentile. And what Paul is saying is the, both the Jew and the Gentile, and I want you to catch this because it's important to understand the church. Jesus himself is our peace. He doesn't give us peace. He is our peace. Now, he gives us peace, but you don't have peace apart from him. And by the way, I, I listed out a ton of scriptures, and we're not going to look at any of them because of time. But, but I, I, I encourage you to get, listen, if you've got a smartphone, you can download Strong's Concordance as an app. Do that, and then type in the word peace, and read every verse about peace. He himself is our peace. Why is he our peace? Why do we need peace? Well, because we're all troubled and we're upset. No. You need peace because you are at war with God. Didn't you hear what he said? You were outside the commonwealth. You were, uh, you were outside of God's will. You were outside of knowing God. You were an enemy of God. And God made peace with you through Jesus. When Jesus died, he was, uh, he was satisfying the Father's demand for your sin. And that's why last week we talked about how Jesus identifies with us rather than with the husbandman. Because he was, he was paying to God the price of our sin, which was death. Notice what he says. For he himself is our peace, who's made us both one. In other words, in the church, there's no Jew and there's no Gentile. There's no black. There's no white. There's no red. There's no yellow, there's no brown, there's no sunburned. Whatever you might be, there's only saved people. Christians. That's it. It's one new race. That's all. But notice how he did it in verse 14. By breaking down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. I didn't quite understand that. Until I was studying for this sermon. And I found out what that meant. In the temple. I, I knew this. But I, I learned more about it. Because somebody explained it in a book. And I read it. And there was a court of the Gentiles. Y'all had enough Sunday school probably. Since all y'all been in church more than five years. Y'all didn't know this. That bugs me y'all. I'm telling you. That's going to bother me. There was a court of the Gentiles. And if you were a Gentile. You could go there. But you couldn't go any further. And in the day of Jesus, they had a sign over the door that said, you cannot go any further. If you're not a Jew, do not go any further. And anybody who goes any further, or if you bring someone who's not a Jew any further, I'm paraphrasing, the, I didn't write down what the sign actually said. It, we know exactly what the sign said. You will be responsible for your ensuing death. If you carried a Gentile past the court of the Gentiles into where only Jews could go, they'd kill you, and they'd kill the guy you brought in with you. Do you know that? That's how seriously they took it. The court of the Gentiles was a place for Gentiles to come so the Jews could come out there and tell you about how great God is and so that you would accept him and go into worship. But instead, they made it like, oh, we don't like you. you got to stay out there. And don't you dare come in here because we'll kill you if you come in here. 
said, boy, I'm glad we're not like that. Didn't I already tell you how we are like that? We'd rather see somebody go to hell than somebody different from us come and be part of us. Listen, since y'all all been in church more than five years, I don't have to hold back anymore. Just kidding, I'm not going to be ugly. But here's my point. Let me just tell you one other interesting thing I realized. You remember when Jesus, the triumphal entry, and he came into the temple and he made a whip? Daniel, Chris, you need to make a whip, man. Hit Daniel back. No, I'm kidding. You'll know what I mean when you see the play. Where, I saw Chris a minute ago, already, but there he is. Jesus came in the temple, he made a whip, and he ran out those guys that were cheating people out of their money. You know where that was? Court of the Gentiles. That's in the court of the Gentiles. In other words, instead of being a life-saving station, they made it a profit-making enterprise. And they asked lost people to make them rich, and they made, got rich off of people sitting there. Jesus was angry, and remember what he said? This is supposed to be a house of prayer. And you've turned to a den of thieves. It was a place where we were supposed to be leading people to the knowledge of God. And they weren't doing it. What do you think God thinks when we are not a people of prayer trying to lead people to the throne of God through the cross of Jesus Christ? You see, we spend more time praying to keep people out of heaven hoping they'll get well because they're sick than we do trying to pray to keep people out of hell because they're lost. And listen... I said this this morning in my Sunday school class. You could, I said Jack LaLanne. Everybody my age and older remembers Jack LaLanne, right? Young people don't have a clue who I'm talking about. This guy lived to be 90s. He was the first exercise guru. His great quote was this, if it tastes good, spit it out. <laughs> Man, he ate healthy. He exercised. He lived up into his 90s, and he was still muscular and strong. And then you know what happened? He died. And you're going to die, and they're going to die. And the only thing that's going to matter then is whether they knew Jesus or not and whether you told them or not. And we don't have time to be playing games. We've got to be telling people about Christ. He alone is our peace. And he broke down that dividing wall in his flesh so that it's not Jew and Gentile that's saved or lost. So now we're the Jews that were the Jews back then. We like to read those stories and fuss about the Pharisees and fuss about the Sadducees and fuss about the Sanhedrin, and yet we are them. He's calling us to tell people who are outside of Christ that they can come into Christ. Man, I had all that written down and I said it all, so I'm going to turn the page. And I want you to catch verse 15. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. I explained that already. Now we come to the verse in which I was explaining. Out of Jew and Gentile, he's making one new man, a new race. And that word there for new is a, in the Greek language is a, has the same sense of the word in the Old Testament Hebrew language. When God created man, he created this new Thing, it's the same sense of the word. It's something that didn't exist before. Before it was Jew and Gentile. It was religion and lostness and hopelessness. And now, out of the two, he's made one new man which has hope 
because of the blood of Christ. And he broke down the wall that divides Jew and Gentile, the religious and the non-religious. And he's brought in his flesh peace to all men, a completely new model that never existed before. And he reconciled all men. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinance as he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And by the way, how did he make peace? Look, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He made the two people to be right with each other as well as all of us to be right with God. There is no room... For prejudice and bigotry in Christianity. You've got to get this. Because it's only saved or lost. And he's reconciled us to all men in himself. And if you can't recognize a brother or sister in Christ. Who doesn't look like you or talk like you or smell like you or eat the same food you do or live in the same place you do. Maybe you've got a serious problem. Maybe you got the same problem they've got, that they need Jesus. Say, that's harsh. Yeah, I know. But I'd rather tell you the problem than let you go to hell being comfortable. He might reconcile us both to God, verse 16, and in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And so he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. You see, the Jew didn't have a special inroad. Other than the Messiah came through there the, as people, but they rejected him. And they have to accept Jesus as Messiah. Listen, the greatest rabbi in the world is going to hell apart from Jesus. Back in the 70s, they, they asked Southern Baptist leaders, well, I've got this rabbi friend, and he really follows the Torah, and he does all the right things. Are you telling me he can't go to hell without Jesus? And they hemmed and hawed and tiptoed around that. Years later, after conservatives took it back... They asked our leader, and he said, exactly. Without Jesus, all men are lost. And it doesn't matter how religious you are. It's whether you have that relationship with Christ. And through him, look at verse 16. I mean, uh, uh, 18. And, and here's, what I, here's, here's the next thing. Go to the next slide. The cost was what Jesus did, but you're radically saved for a purpose. Look at verse 18. For through him, we, have, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. You see, I don't come to Jesus because I'm a Jew. I don't come to Jesus because I'm a Gentile. I don't come to Jesus because I'm a Baptist. I don't come to Jesus because I go to church. I don't come to Jesus because I read my Bible. I don't come to Jesus because I pray. I don't come to Jesus because I tithe. I don't come to Jesus because I witness. I don't come to Jesus because I fellowship with other believers. I come to Jesus, to God through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit. It is by the Spirit we have access to the throne. It is through the Holy Spirit that I can come and know Christ. Jesus, in effect... Brought me into the family. He reconciled all men to himself in verse 16. He, he brought us all inside the fence. Let, let me just give you a quick illustration. In World War II, a soldier was killed in battle in Europe. And there was a, a Catholic church nearby with a cemetery fenced in. And they went and they said, we, we want to bury our friend here in the cemetery. And, but he's not a Catholic. And the priest said, I'm sorry, but only Catholics can be buried here. And so they buried him just outside the fence because they, they wanted to at least bury him. And they did that. 
And the next morning they got up and they went back to do some things there at the grave, say goodbye before they went on. And they couldn't find the grave. So they went back and knocked on the door and they said, we're looking for our friend's grave and we can't find it. We buried him right outside the fence. And he said, I could not sleep all night because of what I said to you. So I spent the first hour in repentance and I spent the rest of the night moving the fence. We were outside the fence and Jesus moved the fence so we could be in. So we could come inside. And look at the results. We are now reconciled. This word is only used three times in the Bible. The other times in Romans 5 and the other is in Colossians 1. It is that the, the peace has been gospelized or evangelized. We have access to God. That's the word that's only been used three times. I'm sorry. Access to God is only three times in the New Testament. And each time it refers to believers' access to God. And it refers to this, that a court official would bring someone to the judge. We have access to the Father through the Holy Spirit. And, and the Holy Spirit brings us, look what it says. You're no longer strangers and aliens, you're fellow citizens. We have one citizenship. We're all in the same kingdom with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the cornerstone. Jesus built the building and he laid the foundation in the apostles and prophets. And in whom the whole structure joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are being built together to be a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You see, we're in one citizenship, one family, one building in Christ Through the church. This is the place. Where we're all together. We're all. One. It was said that after. The war between the states. That Lee was in a church. And he went down front. And knelt to pray. And beside him a former slave. Was kneeling and praying. And somebody grabbed him and shook him and said, Hey, hey, you're, you're kneeling by a, a former slave. And it said that Robert E. Lee shook him off and said, Sir, all ground is level at the foot of the cross. You better understand that. You better get that. You see, Jesus is both the shepherd and the door of the sheepfold. Because over there in Israel, they would take the sheep out and they would be feeding them and they'd be out at night. And so they build a temporary kind of fence, rocks, whatever, around the sheep and put them inside there. And he'd leave an opening and the shepherd himself would lie across the opening. Jesus is both the shepherd and the door. He's the one that brings us in and he's the one that protects us. So, what can we do about it? Number one. Click. There we go. Check your desires. If you don't care about what the Bible says about the body of Christ, how it's doing, salvation of the lost, you might want to check to see if you're radically lost or not. Because if you're radically saved, it's going to make a difference in your life. I'm just saying, you can't just keep going the same way you've always gone. Number two, Claim and thank God for your identity with Christ's death, that you died with him and you've, and you've been made alive to be a brand new creation. 
We are, Christ is conjoined with us. We talked about that last week. That we are joined together with him. And when he died, it was as if we died. And now we have risen to walk in a new life with him. Galatians 2.20. Romans 12.1 and 2. We know Christ. We are one with Christ. Both in his death and now in his life. And so this week, be grateful for that. Thank God that Jesus paid the price to bring you inside the Holy of Holies of heaven. Not the temple in Jerusalem, but the Holy of Holies in heaven. Into the very presence of God. And there's a third thing that's a little bit more practical for you this week. Take your place in the building of Christ. Some of y'all have been coming to this church a long time. You never joined. Join today. Just come on, man. Get over it. Let's go. We need you. Join the church. Get involved where your gifts and your passions lie. Pray for the mission and vision of this church. Because we glorify God by planting churches around the world. The church is the vehicle in which the gospel rides. This, this is what God wants to bring all people into the church. And I'm not talking about buildings. I'm talking about building groups of people that know Christ. That have a spiritual leader and pastors and elders. And servants and deacons and everybody ministering together to evangelize the lost. We need to be praying for that. Because all of us have been called by God to become his disciple and carry his message. All of us. And so we need to be doing that. 